Welcome to the April Citizens Climate Lobby call. My name is Mark Reynolds. I'm a member of the Citizens Climate Lobby Board and I'll be hosting today's call. What's gonna be happening today in just a moment, I will be uh, introducing our guest who the timing couldn't be better to have her joining us today. Uh, after that, uh, we're gonna go over what we're asking you to do this month, followed by some of the remarkable things that happened since last month's call. And I'll finish up by touching on a few things about the June conference. About the June conference, let me just say first and foremost, I can't wait to see you people. So I'm hoping as many of you possibly come. Uh, I just am so happy the chance that I might get a chance to, to see you in person. Uh, before I introduce our guest, I have an announcement from uh, Dr. Cease about some of the new features on the call. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you so much all for being here. And we just wanted to celebrate with you the inclusion of interpretation and translation services here at CCL for our live webinars. So starting on our monthly national calls, we've added the services of Civic Access, a deaf woman owned business based in Charlottesville, Virginia to provide American Sign Language interpretation. And we've also begun to provide Spanish language translation by Accurate Language Services, a minority and woman owned business located in Asbury, New Jersey. So for instructions on how to pin the video of our interpreter or to switch over to listen in Spanish, see the chat and feel free to privately chat me if you're having any questions. Back to you, Mark. Great, thanks so much, Dr. Cease. I also want to welcome our newest chapters, uh, Africa, Ghana, Kenya, two from Nigeria and Cape Verde, the two new in Canada and the one new chapter in Great Britain. So thank you. And I hope you're probably listening to the recording rather than on the call live. So our guest today, Keisha uh, Austin, is the head of engagement and partnership at Rewiring America. She joins Rewiring America from the Energy Division at the California Public Utilities Commission, CPUC, where she served as a senior public utilities regulatory analyst in grid planning and reliability. Uh, while at the CPUC, she led the development of the CPUC's Distributed Energy Resources Action Plan 2.0. Prior to that, she worked as a program analyst at the Office of the People's Council for the District of Columbia, where she developed engagement and outreach programs focused on distributed energy resources. Uh, Keisha earned her law degree at Texas Southern University and her bachelor's degree from Howard University. And boy, Keisha Austin, are we so excited and happy to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you. I am super excited to be here. And it definitely helps that the video that plays right before we get started is very engaging. I was bopping to the music as we were going through. Um, really excited to be here. Okay. Um, so everyone, as you go through my presentation with me, uh, <laughs> my name is Keisha Austin, as you just heard from Mark. I want to thank everybody for allowing me to have this opportunity to come speak to you all on behalf of Rewiring America. I just joined Rewiring America about two and a half months ago. So this is my first opportunity to get out there on behalf of Rewiring America. And I tell you what, I don't think there's a better place for me to start, right? Because I understand that everybody here is a part of this movement that we're creating and that is being created across the world. I'm very excited to hear about the new chapters. Um, and so what I do know, right, is that you and I as individuals and as a collective are going to make the difference. And so it is a complete honor to be here with you all this morning, this afternoon, this evening, wherever you are. I'm just happy to be here. I'm in the district of, well, I'm actually in Maryland. Uh, and so I'm on the East Coast and it's good afternoon for you, for me. Um, I just, before I get in, uh, started, thanks Mark for sharing a little bit about my background, but I wanna give you a little bit more about my climate journey. And I hope it, it reinforces why I decided to come to Rewiring America. 
Um, I got my start in this, in this side in energy policy as a utility ratepayer advocate working in the District of Columbia. And as Mark said, I was super, super focused on making sure that utility ratepayers had access to distributed energy resources, right? So solar uh, batteries, all of that good stuff that makes up DERs. I wanted ratepayers to have access to that technology. And I wanted to make sure, right? Like as many of us do, that the grid was being prepared for these DERs to come online. So that work took me to the CPUC where I worked with the three large utilities in the state of California as a, as a regulator. <laughs> so that was fun, um, right? Making sure that the IOUs were planning for these resources to come online, looking at their certain parts of the grid to see where there were infrastructure upgrades that could be deferred by putting in, you know, in front of the meter battery um, uh, solutions to help uh, defer these costly infrastructure upgrades, right, and give ratepayers some relief and also to modernize the grid with these DERs. And before I left the commission, I was working on an electrification's impact study, which is still going on with the team that I that that was there um, while I was there. And that work really just blew me away. And it drove me to Rewiring America, where I'm here today, and I'm happy to share the case for electrifying everything. And what we know, everyone <laughs> around this table, right, <laughs> knows that the case for electrification is that we're at an inflection point. And I know everybody here has probably seen that most recent IPCC report, right, that said fossil fuels, no more. <laughs> we must cease and desist. And I know there's no convincing that needs to be had here. But that also means that we need to pull away from that dependence on petrostate dictators, as we see, right, where it said give, hit Putin where it hurts. <laughs> yeah, we need to move clean, to cleaner energy. And so we also want to do that through electrification because we believe that it's a vibrant solution to the challenges that we're facing. And it will also provide us with a healthy future. And that healthy future includes uh, good paying jobs, right, that can't be outsourced, super important to the economy, savings for American families, right, so that we can see more money going into purchases that make, you know, a difference in their life, uh, in their lives and in their households, and protection against bill volatility, believe me, as a ratepayer advocate, I understand how important that is. And of course, just healthier homes, right? We want healthier air quality within our homes. I have asthma. And now that I know what that gas stove has done um, to my lungs and my breathing, uh, you know, there, it, it's just a no brainer. Um, and then ultimately it's gonna lead to a stable climate. And that's what we're looking for, right? And there's no question that we must electrify right now. And we must make household electrification, right? The center of climate policy. That's what we're saying here at Rewiring America. And we think that household electrification is super important because 42% of our emissions come from decisions made around our household kitchen tables, right? So those decisions are happening by families and creating 42% of our emissions. And so what is Rewiring America trying to do about that? Well, if we don't skip <laughs> slides, what we're trying to do is we're serving as a nonpartisan nonprofit uh, focused on electrification. We want to electrify where you work, live, learn, and play. Everything we want to electrify because it's inevitable and it needs to happen. 
And that really comes from, some of you may know about our co-founder, uh, Dr. Saul Griffith and his work with the US uh, government. But in 2018, the US government asked Saul, could you map the US energy flows of the US economy from supply to demand down to a 0.1% fidelity? <laughs> um, and that, from that result, from that study that Saul led, the analysis opened his eyes and our eyes about just how much emissions in the US are tied to energy. And within that, how, many, how much of that is coming from American households? And so what Dr. Griffith realized is electrifying is possible, right? That's number one. And two, it's probably gonna be the best solution for us to get out of this energy mess that we're in. And we're really passionate about that here at Rewiring America, of course. And we're passionate about this because we understand that this is a different kind of crisis, right? Like this is one that's continuously urgent. <laughs> you know, the urgency never slips away. The time is always now. There's never any more time, right? Like it's everything needs to happen right now. And we also understand that we can't efficiency our way to zero. Now, efficiency is great. So things like weatherization, we, we appreciate that and we understand how necessary it is to realize the full potential, right, um, of electrification, but they have to go hand in hand. And so we think that electrification is that solution that we need to be moving forward with and we need to be accelerating the adoption of it as well. We need to reduce waste. Everybody here knows that, right? Because it's bad. And efficiency is good, right? Um, very simple. Waste bad, efficiency good. Um, and so we want folks to think as, uh, of electrification as that solution to helping us reduce that bad waste, right? And what does that kind of mean to the household? What, what, what do I mean by that? Well, there's a billion machines that we're looking at um, in these households, right? And electric appliances are just much more efficient than their gas counterparts. And we hear these stories about deprivation and you know, all of this negative impacts of switching over, right? All these scare tactics. But we know that story is not the right story or the one that should be told. What we really need to be talking about is again, get rid of bad machines, right? And swap them out for the good ones. And those are electric appliances. And so we need to be swapping out the biggest polluting uh, uh, machines that we have out here. We also need to be making some really big decisions and we need to be making them really well to address the 1 billion machines. So I'm just gonna really quickly go through what that 1 billion machine looks like, right? And, and let me, before I go there, let me just give you the scale of what we need to be doing. There are 500,000 homes that need to be cleanly electrified drum roll, as you can see at the bottom, every month for the next 25 years. That's the scale of what we need to be tackling and addressing those billion machines. And what that looks like, 98 million space heaters, 117 million water heaters, 220 million household vehicles, and 95 million stoves, ranges, ovens, grills, and cooktops. That's a lot and 19 million dryers. How many of us are doing laundry right now? <laughs> Don't, right? We've got to get those 19 million dry, uh, dryers replaced. 
with more efficient appliances. So that equals 120 million households precisely that we need to be electrifying and we need to do it really, really quickly. Um, and not only do we need to be doing that here in the US, right? But we need to be doing it for peace in this world. And we're seeing what's happening in Ukraine and we understand how necessary it is for us to be electrifying for peace and doing it very quickly so we can move away from those petrostate dictators. So what we're doing at Rewiring America, we have a wonderful team uh, of researchers, policy folks, um, you know, a whole bunch of really exciting folks working on the, you know, solving these challenges. And so what they've done is come together to put the Electrify for Peace plant out, which we have been working to circulate for about since you know what's been happening over in Ukraine. And what this Electrify for Peace plan is, is a three-part policy that focuses on industrial policy. So let me give you an example of what I mean by industrial policy. What we're asking is let's build out US manufacturing capacity for hydronic, air-to-air, mini-split, and variable refrigerant flow, heat pumps and key components, right? Let's get that manufacturing here so that we can drive adoption. Secondly, that workforce development. Um, many of us know that we need some skilled labor here to help us get this clean transition going even faster than it is now. And so what we propose is sending a civilian volunteer workforce to train and install heat pumps uh, in the EU and UK. And that workforce comes back to the US to help us rapidly expand the US heat pump market. And then last on that, something that everybody's talking about, inflation. Right, and so energy, uh, domestic energy independence is tied into that inflation and we need to be tackling um, getting away uh, to reduce that inflation so that we are saving US families uh, money on their household electricity bills. And I know I don't have to convince everybody here how important this stuff is, um, but we all appreciate your support and what you're doing there uh, in your communities to support electrification and bring a clean energy transition across the world. And so what we're doing to support this plan is we're trying to keep the climate legislation at the fore of what we're doing. So we're still on the Hill, we're still communicating with the White House, we're still making sure that we are putting um, an emphasis on that climate legislation. And we're building a supportive coalition. And that includes our CEOs for electrification, as well as, well as our mayors and municipal leaders for electrification as well. So we're looking at a federal, state and local coalition building here. And then volunteers. Um, we're building out um, our volunteers as well. And then what we're doing, which is super important, is educating the public. We want folks to understand that they can be involved. Sometimes people don't know where to start, how they can get in, right? And the cool thing about electrification, at least to me, is that you can just get an induction stovetop and you're on your way to electrifying, right, your household. You are putting your foot forward to being a part of that climate solution. And that is what I love about the work that we're doing. Because when we say a billion machines, we mean that touches every single household 
in the US. So nobody is left behind and no one can be left behind. Um, and so that is something that I really, really appreciate what we're doing here at Rewiring America, which means that we are looking out for everybody. And so with that, hopefully you've gotten a good look at what Rewiring America is about, what we're trying to do. And I'd love for you all to feel free to reach out to me um, at Keisha at RewiringAmerica.com or learn more about RewiringAmerica.com. I'm sorry, .org. <laughs> um, follow the link on the web, <laughs> on the presentation. <laughs> but I, I'd love to engage more. Um, this space has been uh, a great opportunity for us to connect and talk about the importance of electrification. And I appreciate all of your time this morning. Thank you so much. Wow, thank you so much. Uh, one of the things that definitely rings in our membership ears is when people talk about being working in a nonpartisan space, because that's, you know, one of the things that we try to do. Uh, one of the things that I think you might find kind of interesting about this group is most people complain about Republicans not taking action on climate change, and you could easily build a case for that. Well, the people you're talking to last week held a conference just for Republicans on climate change. Five Republican members of the House spoke at it. Senator Mikowski recorded a video. So we are very much trying to, you know, we're looking for ways that we can have bipartisan appeal. Flannery says there's a ton of questions in the chat, so let's get started on it. Flannery, where, where do we want to start? All right, so I'll start with our most upvoted question. This is from Linda. She asks, what systems can we put in place to deal with all of those replaced bad appliances? Uh, she says they represent literally mountains of waste. So what, um, what's the plan there? You know, um, if we had a plan today, I think it would be something that we would be putting in action. But some of the things that we're thinking about, right, at Rewiring America, um, you know, on the policy side, are rebates or incentives to help people transition out. I, I heard a really um, innovative idea about kind of, I don't know if folks remember cars for clunkers or clunkers for cars or, you know, thinking about ways that we can help folks transition um, from that, you know, not energy efficient uh, appliances to more energy efficient appliances. And I can say from my experience at the CPUC, um, there, there are teams um, at some of these regulatory commissions that do have um, some plans or are wanting to look at how we reduce that waste. Um, so I do, I am confident that folks are aware of this issue and are planning to address it. Um, I don't think that there's a clear plan just yet, but um, folks are coming around one as we speak. Got it. Um, we have another question um, that I think touches a little bit on what you were starting to say about uh, helping people transition. So um, Virginia is saying, I want to replace my gas appliances, but to do that, I will have to rewire my home as well as buy new appliances. I've looked into the potential cost and it's considerable. What does Rewiring America um, or other organizations in the space, if you know of things, um, what's available to offer low and middle income homeowners uh, to help make this transition? Yeah, so one of the things that we're doing with the mayors and municipal leaders coalition is trying to gather these resources in one place. So working with cities and local electeds to identify these programs so that we can inform the public in ways that maybe they have not been able to. Um, as I said, that includes, you know, supporting um, some of the, you know, many of the aspects of the B, of BBB or whatever it will, whatever iteration it will be when it will be. <laughs> uh, but looking at supporting some of those policies that allow 
for, again, rebates and incentives to allow for people to make that transition. We do understand, right, that especially when we're talking about older homes, that there's a lot more that goes into that. And so what I would um, point you to is we have on our website a, a home electrification guide. And maybe that's a resource that you can use to help you plan that out. And then as well, please feel free to continue to check back as we build out um, our, our library, if you will, of, of resources working with um, states across the country to inform folks. Awesome, yeah, thanks for putting out that resource. People can check that out on your website. Um, so our next question uh, is from Corey. He asks, how can we stop our government and utilities from installing new fossil fuel infrastructure? Many are undertaking projects that will lock us in for 30 more years of fossil fuel usage. Um, very true. You know, I, being a, being from the space of the regulatory, you know, the regulatory landscape, <laughs> I'm always advocating for folks to make their way down to their regulatory commissions. Um, I don't, know if people understand how important it is um, to be engaged in proceedings that are happening there, um, you will find out what the IOUs or, you know, whatever sort of structure you have set up in your, in your state community, um, you will find out what they're planning. And so then hopefully as a collective, folks can come together, you know, find the resources to respond to that and advocate for the community within, you know, in front of the, the regulatory commission. And I will say when I left um, the CPUC, one of the things that I was charged with was looking at ways to get communities more involved in the regulatory commissions processes, especially around infrastructure planning. So that's something that I point folks to. I mean, obviously there are other ways to be engaged locally with your um, elected leaders, uh, but just because I'm a little biased with that re regulatory background, um, I always encourage folks to, 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 to make their way down and um, you know have their voices heard there. All right. Um, so this question is from Mark. Um, he's asking, not Mark Reynolds, another Mark. Um, he's asking um, if power is largely generated by coal, oil, and gas, um, how does that interact with the, you know, the benefits that we hope to see from electrification? How do you kind of see those two uh, working together? So I, I don't have a clear cut answer for that. And just because I, I'm not you know, uh, Saul or, or anybody else on our research team who really does have um, the breadth of knowledge um, necessary to answer that question. And, and it sounds like it's something where I need to ask Saul to come back and, and have a chat with folks here to get on the deeper policy level. Or actually not policy, right? Like <laughs> actually implementation level and how that really works. Um, so, you know, that isn't my ex my area of expertise, um, but thankfully we have folks. And also you can shoot me an email and I'm happy to pass that along to the team as well. Absolutely. Um, I, I am always also very grateful for our research team. I'm in communications <laughs> and half the time I have to say, you know what, let me check with the scientists <laughs> and the researchers. Um, and I will say, of course, you know, a lot of the folks on this call are, um, of course, pushing hard for policies on the legislative side that will make sure that our uh, our energy sources are moving away from coal, oil and gas so that as we electrify the um, you know, that energy is provided from cleaner sources. So um, we're, we're working on that as well. Um, all right, let's see. So I'm seeing a, a lot of people are starting to get into the, the nitty gritty, the technical questions. Um, 
Let me ask you about, um, okay, this question is, what are you most excited about in working with Rewiring America? <laughs> um, I think, you know, as I was wrapping up, one of the things that I, I think is super exciting is the idea that this is not, this is for everybody. Um, and when we say 121 million households, we're talking about every single U.S. household. And oftentimes, um, you know, low and moderate income households or um, ESJ communities, environmental and social justice communities are not a part of the discussion. And, it, and, and I'm happy to, to know that the, there is more progress and that's happening more and more and they're, they're being a part of the discussion. But this is this work that we're doing at Rewiring America is centered on making sure everyone is a part of the discussion. And it's a big challenge but that's what excites me the most is that I can go back to my communities in Dallas, Texas, where um, I went to high school in Los Angeles, California, and bring them into the fold and have them be a part of the discussion and then give them solutions and help them be empowered to participate in what we need to be doing here to you know, improve our lives and the lives of those that are coming you know, in future generations. Flannery, can I jump in with one question? Sure. So Keisha, I apologize if you already covered this during your opening remarks, but have you guys kind of worked out, you know, for this entire process, how many jobs would be involved? Because these can't be outsourced. They would have to be local people. Um, and what type of just, you know, positive job impact would this whole process uh, involve? Yeah, so definitely several hundred thousand jobs at the minimum. Um, I'm, I'm looking at what we were... We're, just for Europe alone, that, that Electrify for Peace plan that we're talking about, we're talking about 30,000 U.S. workers sending them over. Now, that's a very small skill. <laughs> that's a very small set of workers in the grand scheme. But when we look at what this can do to um, really change folks' lives in terms of giving them good paying jobs, um, that's in the scale of several hundred thousand folks. And we do have um, some more of detail on the impacts that we, we see coming from electrification on our website. So if folks want to look at any of the reports that we have, please go to that website. <laughs> we have tons of research um, on you know, the beneficial impacts. Some of the questions that I know are super technical, either Saul or our head of um, research, Steve or, or Sam, um, have definitely been working on and trying to address. Great. Flannery, I think there is time for one more question. Do you have one more that, that in the queue that you'd like to ask? Yeah, a couple of folks have asked about um, other organizations that you may work with in, in coalition. Um, somebody specifically mentioned the Sierra Club. Somebody asked about um, an electrification group in D.C. So um, are there any other groups that you're partnering with or working with on this, uh, this effort? Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. Like this is not something we can do solo. <laughs> right. There's just no way. Um, so I can just point to, you know, we we just I believe I, I can't remember the other partner right now, but it, uh, we worked on a study with the Sierra Club on the D.C. electrification report. Um, so looking how the District of Columbia can actually electrify. So it's called how to electrify a mid-sized city. So we worked on that um, with, you know, an outside organization, I believe, too. Um, we're talking to other organizations quite regularly. Um, and so <laughs> we will talk to everybody there is, um, you know, and we talk to the utilities as well, right? So we are having conversations with um, 
a bunch of diverse stakeholders. I mean, this conversation today um, was really informative to me. I learned a lot in that video. Um, I've had a chance to work with CCL um, and getting some guidance and looking forward to hopefully creating some partnerships here as well. So um, we are definitely uh, a partnering organization. And I should mention, we're only about two years old. Uh, so we are still growing um, our partners and look forward to doing that. Wow. Well, Keisha Austin, thank you so much for being available, for all the great information, for the extraordinary work your organization is doing. And uh, do feel free. Uh, there's a few things we're going to go over. If you want to stay on for the next 10 minutes, please feel welcome to. And if you, you know, it's a Saturday. Uh, <laughs> it's springtime. You know, if there's other things you need to do, we understand also. But thank you so much. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I hope folks have a wonderful day. Great. Thank you so much. Cool. All right. Well, what are we asking you to do uh, this month? So the first action we have list, listed on the uh, action sheet is the Stand with Ukraine uh, action. And that is, is we want to make 40,000 contacts to the Biden administration, to the Senate, to the House, letting them know that this moment has definitely told us that uh, you know we need to accelerate the transition to fossil fuels. It's made it crystal clear I think our marketing department has done a brilliant job of taking some of the posters from World War II and remaking them to meet this moment. So um, uh, I, I really love the work that uh, marketing's done to support this effort. They were really trying to create something kind of emotional because there's a lot of people who are arguing we can just drill baby drill our way out of that. And that's not gonna get us anything that, that we're looking forward to. So if you've already taken those actions, thank you. Please ask other people to do it. If you have done it, you've, if you've gone to the links, you know how quickly it goes. It took me less than five minutes to get the president, both my senators and my member of the house. So we're asking people and what we're trying, what we're aiming for is at least 40,000 contacts. The next thing is, is April is our month. I mean, there's, there's gonna be live Earth Day events. Um, there's gonna be places where you're gonna be able to go. And so we're, we, we wanted to have this is at least 1500 events where we're doing outreach, where we're connecting with people, whether these are events that we're hosting or that you're attending, please make sure that they get logged, but we wanna make sure that this is a big, huge moment for outreach. The organization is having a huge um, surge of people coming at us again, which is great. We had over 10,000 additional new members joined last month, an additional 6,000 just last week. But we want to really capitalize on April or on Earth Month and have it be a huge event with us connecting with people. Also, if there's ever a time when newspapers are going to publish us, getting letters to the editor, getting op-eds, having editorial board meetings, uh, it's good for us to start having those editorial board meetings again. And we, what I'd love to do is, is break our record for op-eds in a month again, which last year we just crushed our all-time number of op-eds we've ever had in a year by a couple hundred. But April is definitely the month we know that when you're responding to what the newspaper said, that always gives you the greatest chance of getting a response. So let's make sure that we have just a, a huge month with uh, getting published this month. Okay, so what are some of the things that uh, happened since last month call? Well, a lot of you know we had a goal of raising $15,000 in monthly donations. So that would mean people were making, uh, making the same donation every month. We, our goal was to raise $15,000, uh, which would unlock a $150,000 grant from an angel donor. What you actually brought in was 
dollars. So that did bring in the $150,000 matching grant. So for everybody who was able to either directly participate that or you encourage somebody else to participate in that, thank you. That was a big deal uh, hitting our goal. I don't know if you remember, but one of the things our speaker last month talked about is, is that now the number of alarmed people is the highest that's ever been in our country. And one of the things that she said was, the reason they're not doing something is because nobody asks them to. That's what we do. We ask people to do stuff. We invite people to do stuff. They're not always going to say yes, but that's the that's a lot of the business we're in, in is asking people to do something. Well, we have a great youth action team in Europe, and there's a young woman named Tatiana from Spain who, you know, she doesn't know any better. So she asked one of the top ranked officials in the European Union for a meeting. They said yes. We had the meeting. The official was pretty skeptical initially about what we were doing. We demonstrated that we were good listeners. We could ask good questions. And at the conclusion of the meeting, they actually were making introductions to other key players in Europe for us. So for Tatiana and everybody who was part of that, congratulations. That was just a really nice piece of work. So we just held our second ever conservative conference. Uh, and at that conservative conference, Five members of Congress, five Republican members of Congress came and actually presented there at the meeting. That is the most members of Congress that have ever presented at one of our conferences. In addition to that, Senator Murkowski sent in a video. Uh, so that was um, a, a big step forward. And I think if we're not going to make room for people who are Republican to lead, to have ideas, to make things happen on climate change, I don't know who's going to. And so that conference was a really big step forward in us um, making that happen, including, you know, one person, we asked them how they got there, and they told us it was a person who worked for a coal company who said that their member of Congress had invited them. So of the people who came and spent, not only were they coming, they were also sending people to, uh, to the conference. We also submitted testimony this week to the Environment and um, Public Works. Uh, you can get that off community. Uh, one of the things we testified was um, uh, high energy prices, a very salient concern to legislators right now. They're affecting our work and our testimony addressed that head on. The testimony focused on the fact that we are now at a crossroads where we can choose to double down on fossil fuels and expect continued price volatility without solving any of our climate and geopolitical challenges. Or we can invest in a low carbon future where we can expect greater price stability, lower prices overall, and an energy system uh, that is less, not more, susceptible to dangerous and costly extreme weather events that further dis disrupt uh, reliability. So that fits in very much with uh, what we were doing with the Ukraine campaign. One of the other things that I love about the Ukraine campaign is this is standing for democracy. And I think this is an important moment for all of us as a country to stand for and with democracy. Okay, I mentioned at the start of the call that uh, I personally am hoping to see as many as possible of you at the June conference. There's just a couple of things that I have, th three things that I wanna to touch on about that. One is please check out the speaker list. Uh, we have got a really great set of people. And I wanna just point to one of those, Amanda Ripley. One of the things she works on is something called high conflict. Conflict in general is a good thing. And when there's conflict, it allows us to resolve and work things out. In high conflict, it's not good anymore. In high conflict, you only win when you humiliate the other side. 
And if you see some of the language that Putin uses and Z of China, they, they talk about being humiliated by the West. And that is now oftentimes part of our own political process. And it's a dynamic that we need to learn to be effective with. So if that condition is there, we shouldn't be complaining about it. We should figure out how to be effective. And so really excited that Amanda Ripley will be there as one of the people to train us about how to understand it and how to also to work better with it. Uh, also, instead of the state and regional coordinator sessions, we're gonna have six breakouts, three for Republicans, three for Democrats. Those sessions are gonna be tailored just for where your member of the House or Senate is. So they're gonna be tailored to, if your member of the House and Senate is in this category, um, please um, uh, come to this session because it will be designed to help you move your person in that particular category. That's going to be led by someone from our government affairs team. And if you have been watching lately, the amount of strength that is built in that department in the last year is remarkable. I would just go to the staff page, go to the who's on staff, and look to see the people that are now part of that team. It's a super high-packed team. The other people will be co-leading with our, our regional coordinators. Really remarkable group of people. So our regional coordinators collaborate with um, Don Adu, who's the senior director of programs. So Don went to them in the last couple of months and he said, you know what, I think that I'd like to make you all managers. Now in the CCL hierarchy, a manager is above a coordinator. And they said, no, Brett, we don't, we don't manage the state coordinators. We don't manage the group leaders. We coordinate with them. We collaborate. We would like to stay as coordinators. So Don's like, so you don't want a promotion. <laughs> They're like, no, we don't want a promotion. We think we can best serve this organization in the position that we're in. I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, when you're part of CCL, things like that happen and you just have another pinch me moment. Uh, last thing I want to mention is last month when we talked about opening the June conference, we talked about while the Hill is open, we anticipated it would be very di difficult to coordinate meetings. And so we were suggesting a lot of the meetings would probably be local, they would be virtual. But, you know, this is CCL. So some people are already figuring out, oh, we've got enough people coming to do a lobby meeting and we'll deal with all the nonsense to get through the security and the hill and everything. So I believe that this will also be the beginning of the process of CCL taking our house back and that there will be actually lobby meetings on the hill, which I think is cool. Um, Early bird registration ends on April 30th. So if you're coming, I recommend that you register now so that you can take advantage of the early bird registration. Okay, last thing today. So uh, one of our staff members' name is Topher and his wife's name is Claire. And their son was born in the last month. And um, the name of their son is Marshall Thomas Anderson. Now, if you are new to CCL, you might not be familiar that the founder of our organization's name was Marshall. And uh, Topher and Claire were so moved about what Marshall did with his life and the way he lived his life, they decided to honor him by naming their, their son that way. And I'm just, uh, Topher and Claire so touched by that. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, hopefully see as many as we possible in June. Uh, thank you so much, Keisha, for such a great presentation. And thanks for all you're doing. See you at the May call, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. 
We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.